Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Man, I, I don't even have an audio device of choice today. I would choose maybe to be deviceless just for the day. But not you. Please, not you. Oh, anything but that. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it's not just diesels that lie. You know that? But you know, you know the story by now about Volkswagen's uh, pattern of deceit when it comes to the uh, performance of the diesel engines in uh, complying with uh, environmental guidelines. Well, this week we learned that uh, it is not just diesels. And other, other manufacturers of diesel cars have, uh, have confessed to similar depravity. Well, now we learn that Mitsubishi is selling a big, a big chunk of itself. It's self-butchering uh, to Nissan. Why? Well, their sales have slumped. Oh, no. In Japan. Oh, no. After the group disclosed last month, the Mitsubishi group, that some employees overstated fuel efficiency by up to 10% on four types of gasoline-powered small cars sold in Japan, including two models built for Nissan and sold under its brand. Oh, they cheated us. Let's buy them. <laughs> Never understand Japanese people or business. Mitsubishi has since admitted it has been using fuel economy testing methods that were not compliant with government standards since, oh, about 1991 is all, you see. Nine more models were affected, according to the company's statement this week, extending the scandal scope to the entire lineup of its cars sold in Japan. But don't worry, if you're not in Japan, no overseas models have been affected so far. So they're only trying to cheat in their home market, where they could be, I, I guess, ignored by the everybody except Nissan. Hey, you cheated us. We're buying you. It will not be easy to restore trust. With Nissan, we will start moving towards that goal, said Osamu Masuko, chief executive of Mitsubishi Motors. But he was lying. No, he wasn't. The misconduct came to light last year after Nissan became aware of discrepancies in fuel efficiency data as the two companies were developing a new slate of vehicles. You really don't want to develop your vehicles on slate because they'll slide the hell off. Anyway... Yes, gasoline-powered cars lie, too. Uh, the bees, ladies and gentlemen. How, how are our bees doing? Not well. The Bee Informed Partnership, cleverly named, in collaboration with the Apiary Inspectors of America, oh, to be one of them, and the U.S. Department of Agriculture, released their annual report this week on honeybee losses in the United States. Beekeepers reported losing 44% of their total number of colonies over the last year, close to the highest annual loss in the past six years. These losses are considered to be too high to be sustainable for U.S. agriculture. So, I guess, eat the bees at this point. A large and growing body of science, as you know, has attributed alarming bee declines to several key factors, including exposure to the world's most widely used class of insecticides known as neonicotinoids. Well, if nicotine is good for us, state, cities, universities, businesses, and federal agencies in the U.S. have passed measures to restrict the use of these pesticides, while the uh, federal EPA has delayed doing so. 
I believe Europe has outlawed them. But I don't know. I'm in Britain. Uh, however, these pesticides are still widely used despite mounting evidence that they kill bees outright and make them more vulnerable to pests, pathogens, and other stressors. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, bees are suffering from stress. And of course, the, the question arises, well, why not tranquilizers for the bees, don't you think? Aren't we good enough? Aren't we, aren't we smart enough to do that? And now... What the frack? A, well, one answer to that question comes from the U.S. Geological Survey. Uh, they've studied the question, is there any cause for concern when the millions of gallons of chemical-laced water injected into fracking wells is stored later in treatment facilities or special underground wells? The answer, yes. According to the study's lead author, a U.S. Geological Survey microbiologist. The quote, the key takeaway is really that we're demonstrating that facilities like this can have an environmental impact. Apparently that's a bad thing. The uh, microbiologist, Denise Acob, headed a team of researchers from Drake and the University of Missouri in studying a stream near a wastewater storage site in West Virginia. Upstream from the site, the waters of Wolf Creek tested normal. Downstream, there were detectable levels of Barium, bromide, calcium, chloride, sodium, lithium, strontium. Chemicals that are currently found in fracking waste. Say them with me now. Barium, bromide, calcium, chloride, sodium, lithium, strontium. Sure you want those. The report called the levels low, not enough to have a noticeable impact on marine life. But communities of microbes that help support marine life were dramatically altered and less diverse downstream. This diversity again. All right. Hire some Latino microbes. Water samples adjacent to and downstream from the disposal facility exhibited evidence of endocrine disruption. That's disruption of their hormonal systems compared to upstream samples. Such activity can wreak havoc on the hormones of mammals. I, for one, would welcome some hormone disruption. Hello. Welcome to the show. Angel sings. She's such a pretty thing, and I can feel. 
From London, England, just around the corner from where, if you, by the way, uh, if, you, if you want to do, uh, this is to writers of fiction or comic fiction in the United States, if you want, like, to do a character, have a character with a absolutely stock British name, this would be the one I would suggest. Uh, I think we, we, we've been a little behind the curve. Uh, I'm just around the corner from a talk radio host with, at least for radio purposes, such a name. Clive Bull. Just from right there, right around the corner, I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. No Clive, no Bull. Produced by Jim Ebersol Jr., all right, we, we can't have the trumpets blaring that long. We've got so much news. Deadline Tokyo, leaders of Tokyo's winning bid for the 2020 Olympics acknowledged this week making payments to a firm in Singapore. Uh, I'm going to get to that story. But uh, first, let's go to Brazil. Or not. 
Brazilian World Cup winner Rivaldo is telling tourists to stay away from the Olympics in Rio because of the danger of endemic violence. He posted the warning as an Instagram account, alluding to the case of a 17-year-old woman killed on Saturday in a shootout. Things are getting uglier here every day, Rivaldo wrote. I advise everyone with plans to visit Brazil for the Olympics in Rio to stay home. This is without even speaking about the state of public hospitals and all the Brazilian political mess. Only God can change the situation in our Brazil. And a Canadian public health expert wants to delay or move the 2016 Olympics in Brazil because of the Zika threat. But for the Games, would anyone recommend sending an extra half million visitors into Brazil right now, asked University of Ottawa professor Amir Ataran in the Harvard Public Health Review. He's a biologist and a lawyer. Wow. He spent too much time in school. Zika, as you know, spread by mosquitoes, has been linked to birth defects, including microcephaly. Look it up. Rio de Janeiro is more affected by Zika than anyone expected, Adiran said, making earlier reports about safety concerns outdated. The IOC has rejected Adiran's call to delay or move the games. It's a movement. Can't move it. The IOC plans to eliminate collections of standing water near Olympic sites where mosquitoes reproduce. And it says it's going to be wintertime. In the midst of political volatility in, in uh, Brazil, as well as a deep recession, fewer than half the tickets sold. The government is considering buying and giving away tickets to schools. Local security specialists and act- activists say crime should not be added to the list of reasons to stay home. Despite Brazil's reputation as one of the world's most murderous countries, visitors are statistically very likely to be safe. Olympic security planners are wedging the 1.4 million residents of Brazil surrounding shanty towns between two grim forces. Police have been cracking down on criminal activity with an attendant increase in police brutality, according to the International Business Times. And during the Olympics, security in poor outlying communities will decline as police are redeployed to guard the foreigners traveling the corridors from the airports to hotels and events locations. If you're young, unemployed, male and black, and you've come from a low-income area, the Olympics are going to be very bad news for you, says the head of research at a Rio-based security think tank. If you're white, middle class, or wealthy, and you're a foreigner, you're probably going to be as safe as you are in a northeastern city in the United States. Notorious incidents that get amplified in the media can create a gap between real and perceived risks, says the head of research at the think tank. The Sochi Games in Russia were attacked by critics for a reported $51 billion price tag. Now they may be remembered for one of the biggest sporting frauds ever exposed. The former head of Moscow's anti-doping lag lab, Gregory Rodchenkov, detailed in the New York Times how Russia operated a state-sponsored scheme that included exchanging bottles of tainted urine samples for clean ones through a concealed hole in the wall of the laboratory in Sochi. I know it sounds like a bad comedy movie, but there you go. The doping program reportedly involved at least 15 Russian medal winners. Russian officials denied the allegations. Putin's spokesman denounced Rodchenkov's claims as, quote, a turncoat libel the World Anti-Doping Agency will investigate. If the cheating is proven, it's unclear how much evidence exists. It could result in mass disqualifications and or the stripping of medals. 
from those games two years ago. The new doping allegations won't help Russia's case for having its track and field athletes reinstated for the Rio games. They were suspended by the IAAF following a panel of the World Anti-Doping Agency report that found state-sponsored cheating. Pressure is also mounting on Kenya. The nation was declared non-compliant this week with the doping agency's rules. It's all good. And now back to the uh, Tokyo story. A, the Associated Press reports a shell company in Singapore, not the oil company, you know, a fake company, is increasingly emerging at the heart of what French prosecutors believe was an organized web of corruption in sports. Their suspicions are now extending to Tokyo's winning bid for the 2020 Olympics. In the months immediately before and after the vote in 2013, $2 million, the equivalent in Singapore dollars, I got some on me. Isn't that weird? It's thought to have been transferred in two segments from a bank in Japan to the Singapore account of a company called Black Tidings, French prosecutors say. The transactions were marked Tokyo 2020 Olympic game bid, unquote. Black Tidings is quickly earning a dubious reputation. Its account was also used to transfer funds in the cover-up of the Russian doping case. The sports marketing consultant identified by the World Doping Agency as the holder of the Black Tidings account has been closely tied to the family that ruled track and field for 16 years via a now-disgraced official, Lamine Diak. His son, former marketing consultant, Papa Masada Diak, you heard me, is also wanted in France on bribery, money laundering, and corruption charges. But he's living in his native Senegal, and uh, he's safe there. The uh, holder of the Black Tidings account is a very close friend of Papa Masada Diak, The widening of the probe to the 2020 Olympic bidding process will put heavy pressure on Tokyo organizers and the IOC, which has sought to distance itself from the corruption scandals at these other international sporting agencies. It's not the first time Japan has been linked to Olympic bidding irregularities. Japanese boosters vote lavished millions of dollars of illegitimate and excessive levels of hospitality on IOC delegates during Nagano's winning bid for the 1998 Winter Games, according to a report ordered by the region's governor. Nagano burned most of its bid records after the Salt Lake City scandal. Like any other organization, we're not immune to wrongdoing, says IOC President Thomas Bach. And leaders of Tokyo's winning bid acknowledged making payments to the firm in Singapore, but said they were for legitimate consulting fees and maintained that all bid activities were, quote, fair and correct. This message was conveyed to the IOC when these allegations first surfaced after a request from the IOC. Nothing to see here. The Olympics, ladies and gentlemen. It's a movement. You can't move them. And we all need one. Every day. And quickly now, to keep the orchestral theme going, news of the godly. A limerick-born Catholic priest. <laughs> you know the temptation when you start a sentence like that. A limerick-born Catholic priest who hails from a village down east. No, uh, a, he was dubbed a celebrity in the playground. That is apparently not a good thing. 
uh, sexually abused nine young girls over four decades, a court has heard. Many of the school children were said not to have complained about Father Mortimer Stanley at the time because of the very high regard he was held in by parishioners and teachers, almost, quote, godlike, unquote. The priest is alleged to have targeted the complainants, whom he called his special girls, in his presbytery at St. Vincent de Paul Church, where he would sit them on his knee and indecently assault them in various ways. His alleged victims aged under 11 were either pupils at the adjacent school or members of the parish. A tenth male complainant says he too was sexually abused as a child after he claimed something like chloroform was put over his mouth and he collapsed. Father Stanley... Father Mortimer Stanley, 84 years old, is now living in Ballybunion, County Kerry. That's right, I said Ballybunion. It's Ireland. He denies 19 counts of indecent assault between 1977 and 2002. A jury heard he retired in 2002 and returned to Ireland shortly after the mother of one of the female complaints told teaching staff that the canon had inappropriately kissed her daughter. The court was also told that he replied that he was sorry for the upset he'd caused. So he was at a parish in um, England, but he's now returned to Ireland. Whew. A Catholic priest was uh, removed from churches in Metro Detroit after he was accused of sexually abusing a teenager. Now he's the development director of a new Catholic center in East Point, Michigan, that he co-founded, a center that counsels pregnant teenagers. The Reverend Kenneth Kauchek was banned from public ministry by the Detroit Archdiocese in 2009 after church officials determined he had sexual misconduct in the 70s with a 16-year-old girl he was counseling as a priest. He's now a director at the Gianna House Pregnancy and Parenting Residence. Opened in a former convent, the center takes in teenagers and young women who are pregnant, assisting them, and any children they might later have. The website for the uh, facility says it's a sacred sanctuary. The director of public relations for the Detroit Archdiocese told the, told the Detroit Free Press that Kauchek's position at that facility violates the restrictions placed on his ministry in 2009. We assert he should not be allowed to continue in, the, in this position. He said Kauchek could be re re removed under Catholic canon law, a law which apparently applies only to canons. Can't shoot him here. It's... Um, a simple Google search would have shown that Father Ken is potentially dangerous, said a director of a group representing victims of abuse. There is that official of the uh, Victims Agency pointed out there is a pattern of Catholic officials allowing suspended priests to resurface in other roles, sometimes around children. Prosecutors declined to press charges against the priest because they said the girl was at the age of legal consent. The uh, board chairman of Gianna House, Dr. Robert Welch, says he was unaware of the accusation against Father Kauchek and Kauchek's suspension. He called it shocking news. And since the 1950s, you see, the, uh, the church, Catholic Church in this case, um, sometimes pays these judgments that are levied against it in these cases, but sometimes it's insured. Well, since the 50s, the Catholic Church has paid an estimated $3 billion in clergy sex abuse settlements, according to the Conference of Catholic Bishops. Some of it was covered by liability insurance. Occasionally, there are disputes over whether the claims should be covered. 
There's a case, such case, in uh, Hartford, Connecticut. It has gone to trial, and it's ensnared a victim who'd hoped not to revisit the past. If other plaintiffs or victims see that people like me are getting called back decades later to go to court, said the victim, I'm not going to name him, it's just another reason for them not to want to say anything. Church insurance fights are often complicated debates involving abuse from decades ago and expired insurance policies that are just as old. The coverage in question in the Hartford case dates from 1978 to 1985. Some policies apply to the time period in which the abuse occurred. Others cover the period in which it was reported, possibly many decades later. When insurers deny coverage, they usually cite a range of reasons from church officials failing to provide adequate paperwork to having insufficient evidence of old policies. But most cases hinge on whether church leaders, quote, expected or intended, unquote, the abuse to happen, given the church's history of shuffling known abusers from parish to parish. Said a lawyer who has handled numerous clergy sex abuse cases, if they're boiled the insurance company's argument down, they're essentially saying the bishop back, bishops back then knew about this risk. That's a key issue in the Hartford lawsuit, which stems from the insurance company's refusal to reimburse, reimburse the archdiocese for settlements it paid between 2010 and 2012 to four victims of three priests. Oop, somebody got seconds. Even though the insurance company had reimbursed previous settlements involving priests in the Hartford archdiocese. It is nothing but news of the godly, ladies and gentlemen. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast Got to copyright them. It's the only way, only way to be. Now, um, we've all had uh, many, many laughs at the expense of the notion that President Obama was granted a Nobel Peace Prize during his first year, really at the almost at the very beginning of his first year in office. Basically. The point being, he was granted an uh, awarded a Nobel Peace Prize for not being George W. Bush. The New York Times reports today that uh, he now has the bizarre distinction of being the American president who has been presiding over war for the entirety of his term in office. Not Bush, not Nixon. Obama. And uh, in case you thought that we were out of Iraq, the president has recently uh, upped the number of troops in Iraq, U.S. troops, to deal with uh, the IS mess. Uh, We have now, we, the United States, now has over 4,000 troops in Iraq. Now, uh, you may recall, it was a couple years ago, that we were told IS could be defeated without American boots on the ground. Unless the troops are wearing flip-flops, I think we're in, uh, we're in the second verse of this song now. The third will follow shortly. Turn into Iraq. We drop 
the smartest bomb We fly the fastest plane We can squash old asses One hand tied behind our brain Oh, we got some Arab partners The whole shebang just works Thank the Lord we don't have to ask for Soldiers from the Turks We'll have her done by Christmas If we can catch a break Not gonna do no walking It's just a piece of cake Godspeed Sound. Just our drones buzzing round Each one shoots Why put boots on the ground? Situations get in murky Someone's eating words Should've listened to Turkey But should've helped the Kurds The bad guys hear us coming So they just disperse They move in with the locals That just makes things a little We're bombing gals and kids Strange thing about cans of worms They don't come with lids We're here another Christmas And maybe several more The chorus grows much louder Than it's ever been Ain't lost, just gotta get found In for a penny, in for a pound Of salutes, sending boots on the ground Second thoughts start to stack We're knee deep in Syria Mired in Iraq Our troops, they are the very best Slogging straight through hell Seems we got no good allies And 
no good intel. Now haven't we been here before? Here we are again in a strange new kind of war that we can't seem to win. Do they still have Christmas? Or just Ramadan Blame the Pauls for lack of balls Will we have to do Iran In camo suits Let's take those boots off the ground Traumatic brain injuries now abound Here's that VA run around for those ex-recruits one-time boots on the ground on the ground from london this is the show and now ladies and gentlemen news of the warm won't you award-winning can't even remember that soft listen Well, there have been large-scale diebacks of mangrove trees in the Gulf of Carpentaria, or Carpentaria in Australia for months. Scientists have just noticed, because that's in the most remote areas of Queensland. Down under, but up north. Scientists are not up, up top, down under. Scientists are not exactly sure what happened up there, but they know the damage is extensive and unprecedented. This is uh, from the Age newspaper. Uh, the spokesman for the Australian Mangrove and Salt Marsh Network, this program is not carried on that network. I'm strange. Uh, said they were only guessing at what happened. He had some prevailing theories. It's consistent with a very hot, dry period in northeastern or northern Australia. In some ways, it's coincident in the same season, at least, with the dieback of corals on the east coast, including in the Great Barrier Reef. We don't have any other indications of major events up there. The only other kinds of things that could cause such a wide area of mangrove death would be a large oil spill or a cyclone or a tsunami, but there's been nothing like that, only the dead mangroves. Mangroves protect shorelines from erosion, stopping sediment going offshore. Professor Duke, the uh, head of the network, likes to think of them as coastal kidneys, because they clean the water that comes from the land and goes into the sea. That's absolutely essential for ecosystems such as coral and seagrass that rely on clean water, and mangroves do the filtering on the coast. There are also fish habitat and nursery. The fishermen are telling us their catches have dropped in one area of that coastline. They play another role in the ecosystem, carbon storage. They, of course, store carbon within. They keep it trapped underground in their extensive root network as well. They can store up to five times or more carbon than a normal forest, and if they're dying like this, they will release the carbon into the atmosphere and contribute further to the thing. We've been hearing from indigenous rangers in the area that may be able to support initial field survey. But wait, it gets worse. The Sunday Age also reports carbon dioxide continues to increase in the atmosphere with a major milestone of 400 parts per million of CO2 recorded in the southern hemisphere. 
That's a significant marker of rising global greenhouse gas emissions. A key monitoring site at Tasmania's northwest tip recorded that exceeding 400 parts per million for the very first time in human history. Champagne? Anybody? As a baseline recording at the Cape Grim station, maybe elegantly, uh, appropriately titled, that exceeded the, the uh, milestone, was imminent. Uh, or uh, that was the report last week. As it turned out, the unfortunate milestone was reached this past Tuesday. It's a bit sooner than we expected, said the researcher. It just rocketed up there, unquote. Australian emissions are on the increase, particularly in the electricity sector. Atmospheric readings from Cape Grim, along with two stations in Hawaii and Alaska, are closely watched as they date back decades and closely track a range of pollutants from ozone-depleting chemicals to the various greenhouse gases resulting from burning fossil fuels and clearing forests. While mostly symbolic, the 400 parts per million reading highlights the problem of rising emissions, which are increasing more rapidly than they used to be, said the official from the local agency. The recent surge in CO2 levels was not unexpected because of the giant El Nino event now breaking up. In El Nino years, global temperatures get a bit higher. Droughts tend to be worse. As a result, vegetation takes out less CO2 from the atmosphere. Now it's taken off again, said the official of the findings at Cape Grim. Ladies and gentlemen, Cape Grim, news of the warm. Copyrighted feature. We'll hear from Cape Jolly in a little while. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Uh, well, now, now we got to get down to it. Um, the presumptive nominee for the Republican presidential nomination, Donald Trump, made all kinds of news this week. He had that uh, highly anticipated meeting with the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, and. Uh, while Ryan still won't endorse Trump, they um, they made nice with each other in public statements, uh, and it all was sounding very like okay. Uh, they finally got him under control, and uh, he's going to play nicely with the establishment guys, and it's all going to be kind of different than in the primary. You know, and and as, as spokespeople were saying, well, you know, that was a rough and tumble primary. He's going to be he's looking ahead now, and then on Friday. The Washington Post reported that 20-plus years ago, a reporter from People magazine had had a phone conversation with a man who identified himself as John Miller, representing himself to be Donald Trump's PR representative. And uh, she, the reporter, said she knew she was talking to Donald Trump. And uh, other reporters have chimed in uh, from that era saying that they they recall getting phone calls from a guy who represented himself to be Donald Trump's PR man, usually calling himself John Miller, sometimes John Barron. Uh, And they knew it was Trump. The Washington Post story would have sort of sat there except for one fact. It was accompanied by a tape recording of the conversation, which you can go hear. And on uh, Megyn Kelly's Fox News Channel program Friday night, that reporter from People magazine was interviewed. And to the laughter of the crew on Kelly's show, the reporter said, when asked, did you provide the tape? No, I lost my copy. You give it to somebody? No, 
I, I moved and I lost it. Well, wh- wh- how did the Washington Post get this tape? Was there, who had another copy? Oh, um, I believe uh, Mr. Trump's office had the other copy. Cue the crew laughing. So we are now in the position of being asked to believe. Oh, and oh, and before this happened, Donald Trump had gone on the Today Show Friday morning to unabashedly and um, unequivocally deny that it was his voice on the tape. Oh, a lot of people imitate my voice, he said. It's not me. Couldn't be me. Then that, then the story blew up on uh, on Fox News that it was his copy of the tape. We're now in the position of, of being supposed to believe that he leaked this tape and then went on TV to deny it. I, I, I have, you know. Meantime, we're uh, we're treated to another spectacle among the first of the establishment Republicans to uh, line up behind Donald Trump, even though he's not endorsed him yet publicly, is Newt Gingrich. But the Daily Beast reports that behind the scenes, he's uh, leading a campaign to back the back uh, Trump. He's playing the role, says the Daily Beast, of trying to get Republican uh, Washington's Republican political class to come to terms with the Trump candidacy. Uh, stumping for Trump behind the scenes and praising the candidate's business successes. Uh, in a closed-door meeting last week with 100 Republican chiefs of staff from the House and Senate, Gingrich raved about him, calling him, quote, a blue-collar barroom brawler. The guy who knows how to run Miss Universe, the apprentice Trump Towers, construction, golf courses, casinos, ties, hotels, Gingrich said, according to a source in the room confirmed by the Daily Beast, a guy who runs that every morning. You think he can't run a presidential campaign? You should study Trump, he said to the chiefs of staff of the representatives of the House and Senate. This is the quote from Newt Gingrich. You should study Trump and apply it to your member. Unquote. Member of Congress, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get excited. There's a lot to learn here, which you can take back to your member's office. Again, member of Congress, ladies and gentlemen. Don't get excited. Um... I I don't know where this tape came from. Hello, you've reached the personal line of Donald Trump, CEO of the Trump Organization. Mr. Trump is so very, very busy right now with so many important things, as you're um, probably aware. He's running for president of the United States and still managing a world-class business operation, which many experts believe is the finest such organization in the world. So he he can't come to the phone right now. I'm uh, his personal assistant, John Miller. I'm incredibly busy taking all the other calls he's getting and unable to answer as well from uh, some very, very important people who until recently were criticizing him in public very unfairly. So uh, please leave a message when you hear the tone. By the way, many uh, callers have said it's almost certainly one of the best tones available, but uh, you can be the judge. Hello, Donald uh, and or John. This is uh, Newt Gingrich calling. John, uh, we haven't met, but... uh, you you sound familiar, Donald. I'm I'm assuming you're going to hear this message personally, so I, I'm 
I'm going to direct it to you, no disrespect to John. I've been very, very impressed by your efforts this week to reach out to the recalcitrant wing of the Republican Party. But as I'm sure you know, uh, Callista and I have been impressed by your candidacy for quite a while now. We discuss it often during breaks and writing our our films and our books. Uh, frankly, uh, Donna, I was telling her just last week, uh, she should probably be writing a historical novel about you at this point, because you are making a very, very distinctive kind of history, which in a way is uh, why I'm calling. I'm I'm sure you're being absolutely bombarded with people wanting to be considered as your, your running mate. I just wanted to give you a piece of absolutely and unabashedly unsolicited advice about that very important decision that you're about to make. My friend, you've got remarkable charisma oozing out of your every pore. You know that. So the person you choose to be your running mate should bring something very different to the table, a, a set of ideas, a more intellectual approach. And by that, I mean not the stultifying Harvard Yale brand of groupthink, but an independent way of seeing our world, nourished by years of teaching at an obscure college in Georgia, perhaps. Someone who's read Deming and Drucker on how to manage it in the 21st century, of course. <laughs> I, uh, you've you've uh, written your own treatises on management, so maybe the focus should be more on someone who's thought long and hard about the problems of governing in the 21st century. Someone uh, in our party, and it is our party now, who can appeal to the evangelical wing uh, despite or even because of the fact that he or she might be a, a, a convert to Catholicism. And, and, and yes, Don, you're probably way ahead of me. Uh, those attributes do happen to describe me. That's a very happy coincidence. But know this, I'm extremely satisfied writing with Callista, so in no way am I campaigning or, or, or soliciting for consideration. I just wanted you and or uh, Mr. Miller to know that uh, if you did uh, want to consider me, no, not only would I be deeply honored, but I would absolutely redouble my efforts to uh, fulsomely and sincerely uh, flatter you in public. And, of course, a person in my position uh, might well be able to uh, serve as a lightning rod for some of the irresponsible married three times type criticism that might otherwise undeflected be aimed at the, at the top of the ticket. In any case, uh, uh, please let me know. Uh, and, and thanks. And by the way, chief of staff would be perfectly fine as well. Love to the current missus. Pondered on the cruelty that I see all around So much heartache, so much sadness Love and some forgiveness when you put the baton down Arian, why don't you wake up, wake up Why don't you face it all Arian, why don't you rise up, rise up Tear down that wall mm. I feel your presence Don't complain, well that's the wisdom So the cycle goes around Just accept it's what you're used to Keep that smile on Sure to pull you through Arian, why don't you wake up, wake 
of the week. We're so sorry. Daylight Birmingham, Alabama. An Alabama University apologized publicly after discovering T-shirts depicting a black man eating watermelon had been printed by a sorority, which said members initially failed to notice the racist illustration. I was repulsed by the image, said the president of Samford, with an M, University. In an email to students and employees, I lack the words to express my own sense of frustration. And he runs a university, he lacks the words. Administrators are conducting a review that could lead to disciplinary action against the Alpha Delta Pi chapter. The T-shirts depicted a map of Alabama marked with an array of images, including an illustration of a black man holding a slice of watermelon in his mouth in the map's southeast corner. We're horrified by our oversight, said the president of the sorority's chapter. We recognized with the design details depicted, we would never have purchased the shirts. We are sorry. Steve, uh, Steph Curry picked up an additional piece of recognition uh, after he was named for the second consecutive year most valuable player in the National Basketball Association. He got a Twitter photo of a handshake from the commissioner. The commissioner, Adam Silver, lightheartedly told the Golden State Warriors star he was sorry for failing to acknowledge Curry's handshake attempt during the MVP ceremony on Wednesday night. My bad leaving you hanging, said the commissioner. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Curry quickly brought his hand back in and laughed to himself. Video of the awkward moment spread on viral media, but after the Warriors clinched their next position in the playoffs, Curry and Silver made sure they got the handshake right. 
The Belton, Texas Independent School District is taking another look at their dress code policy, apologizing to a mother who was upset when her nine-year-old daughter was said to have violated the dress code by wearing her natural hair in, quote, Afro puffs. That's right, they're not just for breakfast. The district spokesman, Kyle DeBeer, said that officials met with the student's mother to apologize for any misunderstandings that stemmed from the incident at Tarver Elementary School. This is the time of year when we're reviewing and updating the dress code in the student handbook, said the spokesman. After what happened, we're taking a particularly close look at the dress code this year. I anticipate there'll be some changes next year. The district's dress code policy says any clothing, hairstyle, or jewelry that could be interpreted as indecent or disruptive to the educational process is not permitted. The policy goes on to name extreme hair color, extreme hairstyles, designs cut in hair, mohawks, faux hawks, grills, chain necklaces, medallions, and extreme accessories. The hair was in six ponytails on uh, uh, Marion Wilson Reed's daughter's head. Said to resemble a faux hawk. Green said the language and application of the dress code was culturally insensitive. A producer for a U.S. television sitcom that appears to make light of the Srebrenica massacre in the former Yugoslavia in 1995 has apologized, saying the show was unaware of the reference. Bosnians in Europe and North America reacted angrily after an episode of the sitcom The Odd Couple. Really? Again? Aired last month on CBS. In the episode, a male character invites a prospective date to a Serbian restaurant that appears to be called A Taste of Srebrenica. He mangles the pronunciation of the town, where more than 8,000 Bosnian Muslim men and boys were systematically routed up and killed by the Bosnian Serb army in that year. Show's executive producer, Bob Daly, said, We were unaware of any connection to the terrible tragedy in Srebrenica. We would never intentionally disrespect or make light of such an event and sincerely apologize to anyone we may have offended. It was in the papers, dude. A Bosnian group said, uh, saying, let's go visit that new Serbian restaurant, the taste of Srebrenica is analogous to saying something like, let's go visit that new German restaurant, the taste of Auschwitz, unquote. Kisses Gene Simmons has apologized for comments in a recent Newsweek interview in which he called Prince's death pathetic and suggested the famed entertainer, in effect, killed himself because of alleged drug abuse. In a message posted to Tuesday night on his Twitter feed, Simmons writes, Needless to say, I didn't express myself properly here. I don't shy away from controversy. No kidding. And angry critics really don't bother me at all. But this time, I was not. So, my apologies. He explains he decided to issue the apology after getting such S-blank from my family from my big mouth again. His remarks about Prince, he says, were colored by the negative experiences experiences he's had with people who've abused drugs. Really? In rock and roll? you got to be kidding. British Prime Minister Cameron has apologized to a Muslim cleric he falsely accused of supporting IS. Dwayne Wade, another basketball player in the NBA, sorry, for uh, continuing his pregame warm-up while the national anthem was played in Toronto. Yes, their national anthem. School administrators in Woodstock, Vermont, I believe that is, could be New York, have apologized for holding a girls-only assembly in which female teachers addressed dress code violations. There are those dress codes again. Michael Bloomberg apologized Tuesday for recently nicknaming two managing editors of Bloomberg Politics after two notorious figures from the Watergate scandal. I apologized to them yesterday. I apologized to them today. He called Mark Halpern and John Heilman 
Haldeman and Ehrlichman. Well, you can see how that would happen. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature for this broadcast. David Cameron may have more to apologize for at a uh, anti-corruption summit this week here in London. He cast down whether the United States could be truly considered part of the coalition, coalition committed to the fight against corruption, accusing some U.S. states of falling far short on tax transparency and being less open than the tax havens that are under the British crown. He's looking at you, Delaware and Wyoming. Worse than the Cayman Islands? Dave, really? Oh, Dave. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. You send 440 cable system in Japan around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America via the shortwave giant WBCQ, the planet, on the mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio London, in London, around the world via the American Forces Network. Did I mention that? I mentioned it again. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, harryshare.com and kcsn.org, available for your smartphone through stitch.com, available as a free podcast, free, commercial free too, at uh, Sideshow Network, SoundCloud, wwno.org, tune in. Dot com and iTunes. Yeah, they're still in iTunes. And it would be just like they're still being in iTunes if you would agree to charge them with me then. Would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Exile and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead, Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans, and Adrian Bodden here at Global Radio in London, where they don't have a mission statement. They have an obsession statement on the wall. True. to that. The email address for this program. Playlist of the music heard here on. And your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. All at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from London. 